0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast, I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, thanks as always to Yesty Boys and Tea Leaf Tea. This conversation is with Mark Rogers, he is a, well, what is Mark, he is a music publicist and promoter, Um, he is a a radio DJ, he has a show, a weekly show on RNZ called uh, Nashville Babylon, Um, he is a, a man about town that's obsessed with music and has been his whole life. Mark's from um grew up in Wales and then moved to London. He's been in New Zealand for over a decade now um, in Wellington and now Masterton. Uh, I recorded this conversation a month or so ago um, on my way up to Hawke's Bay. I stopped and um, pulled in to have a chat with Mark. It's something that we'd wanted to do for a while. Um, yeah he was he was a big old country fan uh, when that was really blowing up and he uh, helped put together a couple of formative compilations. This was when he was in the UK. Then he moved out to New Zealand um, and, uh, and he has been involved with all sorts of things from running publicity campaigns for artists to helping bring over Uh, people like the Handsome family and uh, you know he's just been involved in a lot of music and so this is a story too of music fandom Uh, we talk about some of the shows that he got to see and how he got obsessed with uh, music growing up in Wales and then moving to to London so you know he saw things like Nina Simone at at Ronnie Scott's it wasn't just about who he saw but where he saw them Um, and so he's got some amazing stories he's also uh, through his time as a publicist I mean this is a bit of a spoiler alert it, but at one point I ask him who's the most famous person you think you've met and he says Johnny Cash so you know there's some pretty big name drops in this and uh, and some great stories around them uh, so yeah Mark's a guy I chat to a bit online um, we've known him for a while we see each other in the street when we do and, and at, at gigs over the years and, um, and you know he's a friend and uh, I've always wanted to have this conversation it was a, a great conversation to have I hope you enjoy this, this is me, me talking with Mark Rogers what I like to do before I um, get into it is I try, I try to work out how I know someone. And we were actually talking about this the last time I saw you. Um, that I don't really know how we met. We obviously met through music, hmm. and we probably exchanged a few messages before we. But I remember having a coffee with you, and that was when my kid was about two. Yeah. So okay, and he's okay. like nine. <laughs> yeah. So we've known each other for a while, but we had we had interacted before that. But when did you come to Wellington? Well, I moved to New Zealand
1: Mm. um, 12 years ago, virtually bang on 12 years ago. So we had, you know, family connections here. I'd been back and forth for the previous almost 20 years. I think I first came out here and then, you know, back to London, you know, just holidays, Christmas, Mm. that sort of thing. Mm. And, you know, living in a two bedroom flat in North London with three kids and then, you know, kind of a wife from New Zealand. Mm. It was just a no-brainer to eventually to shift out Yeah, Right, right. I was very happy in London. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I and mean, I'd, I'd lived there for 26 years. Yeah. i giving given it 200 mile an hour plenty, non-stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for children, it was, yeah. it was no good. And, yeah. you know, my, my then wife, I think, had been living in London for, like, 16, 17 years. She wanted to come out. And mm. even though it was a bit of a move for me, leaving family, i will obviously work behind but eventually it's like no let's do it so Mm. we and we shifted to what a rapper yeah and it's been the best move I ever did yeah yeah it's almost like reinventing yourself coming out here starting afresh yeah so I think we met because I was walking bands around. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, you yeah. obviously writing a lot then. Yeah. The Dom.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would have still been doing the Dominion Post and I was going to say you would have been connected with things like Handsome Family and... Well,
1: that's... Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Because it was... People like Brett the Handsomes, Brett yeah. and Rennie, I you know, think they were coming out... Yes. Everything. I think actually the first time we probably got in touch because I wasn't doing anything. I was still... My main job when I moved to New Zealand was still doing PR and marketing for bands in Britain mm, right? so I was kind of starting work sometimes at about one in the morning mm, going mm, to bed okay. about five in the morning Yeah, getting up at seven in the morning to sort the kids out of school <laughs> then you know buggering about for a couple of hours having a sleep yeah, kids yeah. would be back from school dinners parenting <laughs> yeah. back into it because I was doing all the still doing work for Loose Music still mm. doing a lot of stuff for Cherry Red
0: I was going to say it was like um, Pokey Poke Kitty Daisy Lovers yeah those sorts of things, those, those those sorts of bands and artists that were tapping into, which is very much your wheelhouse, yeah, the that's it, that's Americana, yeah, that sort of thing, the modern Americana stuff, yeah. <laughs> well, let's go, let's go. We'll get back to that. But let's go all the way back. So, where did you, where did you grow up? And um, a,
1: right, I grew up in a, a South Wales mining town called oh. Aberdeer, oh. um which is about twenty thirty miles north of Cardiff, right in the heart of the valleys. You know, so when people say the valleys that's where it was you know and it was just a mining town you know and grew up there and it was odd it was a great place to grow up just you know at the freedom it was just chaos there, loads of fun
0: yeah Um, well it doesn't I always think about this when when I talk to people about where they grow up you know when you're a kid, it doesn't matter where you are at all. It's no. only when you're an adult that you give a right. shit about where exactly. you are in the world. When, yeah. when you're a kid, everywhere has the opportunity, the potential to be paradise. Yeah. And maybe you look over the fence. you know, Maybe you have the rich cousin that lives somewhere or, or whatever. But even that doesn't matter. No, doesn't. You just you just enjoy that element when that comes into your world. Then you go back to your world and think yep. generally. like yep. Unless there's major strife in your life, generally... People are happy where
1: they are. Yeah, no, just... It would, we were very, very fortunate growing up, you know. A, I wouldn't say an idyllic childhood. It wasn't some sort of Laurie mm. Lee side of a rosy type <laughs> thing. But it had its moments. But it was just... It was fun. You know, really enjoyed it. Very close-knit community. Mm. Um And, it, you know, I loved it. But what I did find, as I got a bit older, as you said then about looking over the fence... Mm. You know, you get music was the, always the big thing. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, when you're a kid, you listen to the radio and you see in top of the pops and, you know, what have you. But then as you get older, you want to see bands. And you're living in this little kind of <laughs> semi-isolated community and there's no-one going there yeah, yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And to go to see a show in those days was a real mission. You know, you had to connect. It was either Cardiff or Swansea, uh, which were the nearest cities.
0: Mm. And that was a journey. You know. and they were still not getting everything obviously oh, no, they were, in
1: those days they would, they they would get, it was a big right. touring circuit that, yeah. that wasn't so much an issue You know, there was always bands on tour there was okay. great venues there you know, some big ones, some small ones but it was getting there was a tricky thing and this mm. is when you're like 13, 14 mm. you know, and you want to go to see these bands and you can't do it
0: because
1: yeah. you, know, you, you could get there but you're not going to get your mum and dad to come and pick you up
0: yeah, yeah. Every
1: kind of Thursday, Friday, Saturday <laughs> night, you know, to have yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't happening.
0: stay somewhere and you can't. Not at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you want
1: to. You yeah. want to just desire us. And I remember the first band that we went to see as kids, I would have been about 13, 14, I would have probably been about 14. And we went to see Blue Oyster Cult.
0: Right, yeah. Because yeah. don't fear the Reaper. Yeah.
1: You know, you just think, right, oh, I want to go see them. Yeah. And they were playing in a place called Sapphire Gardens in Cardiff and uh, off we went and it was still the kind of cra- one of the crazy gigs you know because it was the first gig you ever saw like, yeah you know? yeah and, yeah and it was blue oyster so it's it amazing yeah. yeah 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 and of course <laughs> being that age you want to be down the front because mm. you think well, that's where you've got to be and it was i remember you know coming out and my dad picked us up couldn't hear a think it was just this kind of in board line, tonight tonight just kind of kicking mm-hmm. off, it's ringing in your ears and long, long, many years later, I was speaking to um, Stuart Lee about it, we were talking about. Do you know Stuart Lee? Because mm. yeah, he used to be big music reviewer back in those yeah, days. Yeah,
0: he's a massive music fan. It's I mean, just, he's just made a doco recently, it, hasn't yeah. he? Um, but he's, and he's got that backstory, he was on Mastermind talking about Derek <laughs> Bailey, which <laughs> is, you can watch those clips, which is incredible.
1: So I used to, know, I used to see yeah. Stuart a lot, because <laughs> wow. he, he was a big Giant Sand fan, yeah, and yeah. Um, Martin McKay, and I was working with those at the time. And I remember talking to Stuart about being, you know, first gigs, and I said about Blue OysterCon and coming out deaf. <laughs> and he came out with this line, he said, don't fear the speaker. <laughs> I've never forgotten that one with Stuart. That That's perfect. One,
0: yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, I mean you've got similar... Uh, passions and pursuits to me, books, music, yeah. movies, arts, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing, but and you, you, but how did that happen for you, you know, do you remember the sort of yeah, eureka no,
1: moment of going... Oh, I've, I was thinking about it the other day, because um, I was trying to sort out some records, and um, I came across, I don't know, about 20 Johnny Cash albums, yeah. and I don't know where most of those came from, you know, they're yeah. usually all kind of the best of Johnny Cash, yeah, and yeah, yeah, all that... Yeah. But then there's all the American recordings and then, you know, um, Live at Folsom Prison, or whatever it's called, mm, Live at Folsom, mm. um, all those things. And it all of that goes back to my grandfather, um, my dad's dad, who, he had this little, tiny little cassette player and a little box with about 10 tapes in it, cassettes in it. And they were virtually all marked cowboy tapes, Gunfighter Ballads, Jim Reeves, Johnny Cash. And that was it. And as... I don't know, since we'd always be staying there mm. as kids. I mean, you know, from a baby up to wherever. And he'd always be playing country music. And when you're, you're a little kid, you know, the westerns, you know, cowboy movies are a great thing. Like would always mm-hmm. watch a cowboy movie with my grandfather. And then he'd press play on the cassette, or they'd be on in the background, and there'd be these, like Marty Robbins, you know, songs like Big Iron, El Paso. And he was like, seeing a John Ford western... But it was set the music. There's yeah, stories yeah. like, you know, I like shot a man in Reno, there's Johnny singing that. There's, you know, the big iron about the kind of the Texas Ranger, you know, El Paso. And it was exciting as a kid. So you got all these westerns or western themes. And I kind of just upped into that and I thought that was fantastic. Loved it. So I've been listening to that sort of thing as a kid. And that passion for country music's never gone away, the good stuff. But then as you get older, we were always in cars with my dad and my mum. We're always driving places like I said, do my head in, <laughs> but on in the car, the radio would always be on, and then it'd be BBC Radio One. And it was just a great time for pop music. Mm-mm. And if some of it was good, some of it was bad, but the thing is, it was always there, so you just getting immersed in music. So it was always on in the background, it was mm. we were never sheltered from music.
0: That's yeah, because you're you know, you um could be painted by some people as an americana person i mean i sort of referenced that before and it's a driving passion but you've what what i've enjoyed about getting to know you and our our conversations and our sharing music is you're much wider than just that even though americana is an enormous yep. genre but you know you're into a lot of great soul music you're into a lot of reggae you're into pop well, music see punk. that that's the thing when um, yeah. you know as a
1: kid going back to that, you know, you, you, you're getting exposed to all these different things and then, but the I was very lucky where every Saturday, my mum would or dad would get, buy a single, a sandwich yeah, from yeah. the local record shop, that was my, you know, it was, I don't know what they cost, yeah. £10, £20, £30 yeah. £10, whatever, Yeah. and they, I'd, they, I'd ask him to get something, or we'd go down and buy it and he was always singles and I think the first one I wanted or wanted to buy, was some Bowie thing. And it was probably Space Oddity, because it was, Mm-mm. you know, it was Space Oddity. It's just this funny little thing as a yeah. kid. And I'm talking from when, I think that came out in, it got re-released in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. 71, because there had two releases yes, in a... Yes, you know, They'd one in 69, I presume. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. And then early 70s got released. So I was probably, I got that when I was about six. But what I, the thing I remember most about that single was the B-side... I think, was um, The Man Who Sold the World. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And that, for whatever weird reason, that's the, the, my first kind of single by accident. Mm, I think mm. they either got the wrong one or it was the B-side, I can't remember what. Mm. So then is this Bowie thing going on, as well as in the background is all the country music stuff. Mm. And then Slade were huge, and Sweet, and T-Rex, obviously, but that, that was just pop music. That mm. was the stuff. He wasn't... I wasn't saying, I love glam rock. Yeah, it yeah. It was just, that was in the charts. Yeah. I like
0: chart music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you... Because yeah, you, you follow them, you read the music press, you... Check out what's it, like the chart listings. The, well, it was yeah. just Top of the Pops. Yeah, fact, This is
1: what I'm talking about when I'm, you know, seven or eight. Uh, I wasn't uh, reading music press or anything like that. I was uh, watching... I was, it was just the radio. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't... You know, I was still reading the Beano or whatever it was. <laughs> that age, and, you know, they weren't too big on glam rock. Mm. But what what you were having through things... these was mainly Top of the Pops and Radio 1. Simple as that, you know, that exposure to yeah. music. And you listen to that, listen to that, and then all of a sudden you go into secondary school at the age of 11... And then you get exposed then through kind of older or friends or the brothers. other people's tastes. And then I had this brief kind of dalliance with yes.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh,
1: You know, know. I think Pink Floyd to a certain extent, which I've kind of stuck with a bit. Yeah. But what I always remember with like, the you know, these older guys, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, it's amazing. And I listen to think, yeah, pretty good. You know, Mm. it's cool. Mm. But then you'd find out a bit more about things like Piper at the Gates of Dawn and Gamma and, mm, and all these mm. things and the Sid Barrett stuff. And you talk about that and they'd be going, nah, that shit.
0: And it's amazing, isn't it? Because everything up to Dark Side of the Moon is fascinating yeah. to me about... I mean, I, I love all the Pink Floyd records in their, in their time. You yeah. know, I don't listen to them a lot these days. But the, the, those early years are just absolutely fascinating.
1: It is, you know, yeah. it's... But as a kid, you know, yeah. 11 or 12, you don't know much about that sort mm. of stuff because you didn't have, in those days, your mojos yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, Q magazines where, you know, it's that sort of, uh, you're going back and finding out all these, you know, crazy facts and all I that. I
0: read this, you know, those 33 and a third books. Yeah. And I read the one recently about um, Elton John's Blue Moves yeah. album. And the story in there, I mean, it's a great album and a great, well, it's a, an interesting album. I like it a lot, actually. But but the the story the guy tells is brilliant about basically buying the album by mistake and having to spend time with it because that's all he had. You know, being an Elton John fan, but being convinced that he should buy the new release when actually he wanted probably the greatest hits. And he went and bought the new album and was a little disappointed with it. But, you know, you couldn't just grab the next album the next day on any device or whatever. So he was stuck with that. And so, yeah, you do that. You, You know, it's a bit like your Bowie story of getting the the wrong single or hearing the B-side yeah. and that chiming with yeah, you. Yeah, These are the things that happen.
1: And I think, you know, with stuff like that, it's opening doors, it's like, and it's, you know, you're you going through down different corridors or mm. whatever, but I wanted to mix up a few metaphors there. And as I, I was as in those, when you're a kid, it seems like it goes on for ages and ages and ages and years and years, but I was probably listening to that stuff for no more than six months to a year. Mm. And... At the same time, you know, the charts in Britain or the music scene in Britain was kind of, you know, they'd gone through that punk thing. So it's like 76, 77, 78. And 1978 in Britain, it possibly was the greatest year for singles of all Mm, time. mm. You know, the stuff that was in the charts in those days, it's everything from, you know, disco, soul, post-punk, so-called punk, Mm. really great rock music. Mm. Reggae was just kind of... Which has always been a big thing in Britain, yeah, you know, through yeah, the late yeah. 60s, those um, Trojan Records, Tight Up compilations, yeah. I don't know if you ever had yeah, those over yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. But they were, you know, bargain basement-type releases, you know, 20 classic ska reggae releases. Everyone from, you know, kind of... Ube Toots would be on there, um, Desmond Decker, yeah. the Hitmech, all those things. And they'd be them, because they were so cheap. I think they were about two, three quid... Mm. you know, that's affordable. And they, they were huge shot things because all the, you know, people would ch- you know, think, well, I'm buying that. And the covers are always quite lurid. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we always go for those. So you're buying those and you're thinking, hang on, I've got this, you know, close to the edge. You ain't going to dance to that. Nah. But if you've got these, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this collection of kind of 20 absolute cracking scarves yeah. in the classics.
0: Yeah. That's
1: pretty cool. Yeah. So I got into a little bit of that, but he just kind of dalliance with that, and more than anything, it was on the radio a lot because things, people like Arthur and Donna, yeah, you know, and um who else was the, those big names at the time? Even to a certain extent, you know, there was early um, you before the albums.
0: Yeah, I was going to say even that whole kind of wave of just before them too, like. You know um the specials and madness yeah. um what they're doing and some of the songs they were covering you know like lending people back to the source yeah as well as their own stuff which yeah. was great yeah,
1: that's it yeah. see i'd forgotten about that all yeah. that two-tone stuff that yeah out, even though at the time you think no I'm, i can't really like that because you know my friends just want to listen to kind of close to the edge mm. all the time mm. so <laughs> I, I actually don't like that but secretly if you think this is just amazing yeah. and then when you went to kind of school discos and stuff you know, they'd be the floor fillers. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, too much, too young would come on. The place yeah. would go nuts. Yeah. You know, well, then all that jam stuff and what have you. And they, they were great, but I, they were just there in the background. They were on the radio. I didn't know too much about it. But then I remember you talking about going back what you were saying about, you know, you know the steps you take to listen yeah. to things and how doors open and all that. I was going out with a girl at the time called Claire Stride, whose brother was about five, six years older than me. And I th- he definitely was in London, and I think he got the Chelsea Arts College, around about 76, 77, something like that. So then he's in London, he's seeing the Pistols, the Clash, yeah. all those bands, and his record collection was just astounding. Like, yeah. you know? And I'd, he, when he'd come back from London, back to Wales, you know, he was this kind of older, cooler brother, but he'd have the record collection. Like, mm-hmm. you know? And me and Claire would just sit there and just play this stuff. And it was all of a sudden, it's like, okay, what's going on here? Like, you know? And this is around about 78, 79. So obviously, you know, they the bands had moved on a bit, but you're still finding their records. And then one year he'd come down, he was going off for a trip to Australia for a year, and he wanted some records um, recorded on tape, and he didn't have a cassette player, mm. or whatever. Mm. So he asked, can you record these things for me? I said, yeah, whatever, bring them up. And he turned up at the house and I can see him now with these boxes of vinyl and a list of what he wanted on each cassette. You know, this was a mixtape. Like, you know, yeah. you had to be certain orders and yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I thought, okay, here we go. And it was just, it was an epiphany. like you know.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's an education right there, yeah, isn't it?
1: Right there. And I spent this weekend, it was everything, you know, apart from all that stuff, as I said, like the clash and all that, all this Lee Perry stuff, the Congo's culture, um, it was all there. And I'd never heard anything like this before mm. in my life. And, mm. I, and all of a sudden, it was like, okay, mm. this is what I'm into from now on.
0: What did you want to do, you know, with your life? Because, uh, I mean, you were describing a, a, a childhood in a beginnings of a teenage year years obsessed with music but did you have any thought about what you were going to go and do growing up in a little mining town in Wales were you going to stay there and never
1: never you always
0: wanted to get out and what did you want to do
1: I wanted excitement and I wanted to go to London yeah and I wanted to be in a band yeah and I wanted to just give it rock and roll yeah because it was fun it was that place that we brought up in was superb it was beautiful But it was, you know, the late 70s, mid to late 70s in Britain was very black and white. Mm. It was not a lot of fun, you Mm. know. You know, you had a great childhood and all that, but Mm. I wanted a lot more Mm. than that. I wanted a bit of excitement. And all I wanted to do was go to London. And, you know, from the age of 15, 14, 15, you can get into music. And then you think this is a possibility. And then at 16, I went up to stay with that guy, Andrew, I mentioned. Mm. Um, I I went to the Notting Hill Carnival. Andrew was living in this big squat in Brixton and it was crazy. And I remember my mum and dad were freaking out because I think <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was 1981. They just had those huge riots in Brixton. Where, mm. You know, it was mm. burning. And I'm going up to stay for a week for the Not Hill Carnival at 16. <laughs> and it was like, okay, you, you behave yourself. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course I will. And of course, you know, I far from behave myself. I just ran, I just went nuts for the weekend. <laughs> But we got a lift, me and a friend got a lift up from um, Wales to London. We got dropped off somewhere, we got a tube to Brixton and then immediately got lost. We had this address. I, knew, I remember coming out of the tube station and it was like being on a different planet. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. It was Brixton, the colors, the smells, the people. Um, you know, just seeing, uh, <laughs> just seeing your real life, genuine Rastafarian kind of mm. cruising around the streets. And he was like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And it was like the cover of that Black Market Clash album. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's, you know, he's almost like these Don Letts characters are everywhere. And it was like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I thought, yeah, this is it. I want to be here. And I remember staying there, and it was exciting, and it was dangerous, and there was an edge to it. And we went to the carnival, and I remember seeing Aswad, I think, at, oh, yeah. at Meanwhile Gardens. And there's a
0: record of that, that I think it's called Live, live and Direct. One of the great... I didn't realise until just recently how good they were because I knew them as a... Because of my age and how they came into the world, I knew them as a cheesy pop reggae band didn't realise they had this whole pedigree before yeah. that. Yeah. Was that
1: song uh, Don't Turn Around? Yeah, Was yeah. that the big yeah. thing? You know, they I remember that
0: coming out. And I mean, I liked the great cheesy song. pop yeah. stuff I heard of them, by the way. I had the record, you know, but... Yeah, then I just realised this whole other layer of what an amazing band they were. Yeah. And, you know, when
1: that when that single came out and they had this huge success with it, it was like part of me was thinking, fantastic, mm. but the other part of me was thinking, "Yeah, you're better than that. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, used to see them. I went to see them at that, as I said, that Meanwhile Gardens thing, and that was 81, I think it was, 82. And the play, it, well, you listen to that record, it's mm. one of the great live albums. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, but not just only seen as one, but these kind of toasters and these sound systems... You know, and having that kind of the sound clashes going on, where you'd have, you know, on one side of the street, there'd be like, you know, kind of more speakers than I've ever seen in my life. And then 20 yards away, 10, 20 yards away, there was another system, and these guys were just going off against each other. And wow. in the middle of it with the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of people dancing.
0: Yeah, and not fearing the speakers. Not fearing the speaker. <laughs> Why should they? So at that age,
1: you know, as I said, 16, I thought, well, I'm coming up here. I went back to London the next year for the carnival again. And I think that when I turned 18, I moved to London. I mm-hmm. went to live in Tottenham and shifted up there, you know, to go to college. Yeah. I think I stayed about six weeks in, in college and, and I was living in all the residence. Yeah. But I was going to gigs every night and I was back and forth to Brixton, eventually moved down there, then back to North London. College just went by the wayside. I just did no interest.
0: almost every gig feel like a life-changing experience? Yeah.
1: I was just enjoying yeah. going to see everything yeah and what was good at that age was that you would go to see everything yeah because it was just on your doorstep and it wasn't just those big shows in you know in kind of theaters or whatever we didn't go to too many of those because they were expensive ish but they were still affordable in those days you still could get away with it but you know the the pub scene was great you could go to pubs and see a great reggae band or a great punk band or a blues Mm. band because you'd just be sitting there drinking there'd just be a band on in the corner Mm. and you know, it was just a night's nice entertainment. Mm. So you're always out and seeing things. And also, uh, in about 83, when the Great London Council, GLC, was being run by Ken Livingstone at the time, they'd have these huge concerts on the South Bank down by the Thames, free. And you'd, you'd see everyone from the Smiths to Ian Dury, the Redskins. Um, you know, I was there when... The Redskins got attacked on stage by these nasty little neo Nazi bastards and who mobbed the stage and beat the Redskins up. And then a little later on on the big stage, Hank Wangford, who is this kind of crazy country guy, was playing and he was, you know, singing, you know, Drop Kick Me Jesus through the goalposts of life <laughs> or whatever. And then all you could hear was this Z gal Z gal. It's yeah. like what? And you look up and there's a dozen skinners on stage, literally beating the shit out of them. Um, and they turned into this huge riot, but that particular gig was I think it was a job sort of change and there's a lot of miners and you know union people from all over Britain there for this thing mm. and I remember there's a lot of Welsh guys next to us because they had the big the local mining banners, you know these big flags like you'd see in that movie Pride you know the
0: mm. uh, mm. seen
1: that put at the end. And then all of a sudden is all these kind of Nazi skinheads running around and they think, oh, right, okay, this is all right. It's like being sat at night back in the valleys. There's a bit of biff going on there. <laughs> and it got nasty mm. very, very quickly. Mm. And, and, but that was, I hate to say it, exciting, but it was yeah. yeah exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But also in those days, going to a gig was pretty dangerous. I don't know mm. what it was like in, in New Zealand, but you'd go to kind of, you know, I remember going to see Desmond Decker, I think, in some... Club called the George Roby in a place called Finsbury Park in North London, and getting off the bus, and there was about two hundred people fighting outside, and it was just this riot outside, mm. and it was just this.
0: You think what was? Well, I grew up in Hulst space, so I didn't go to shows until I went to big stadium gigs once a year with my parents when I was fourteen, fifteen, and I saw things like Dire Straits and Eric Clapton, yeah. and I loved seeing those yeah. things, and I saw, and I think the first thing I got to go to with. My cool uncle was Guns N' Roses, so that was pretty special. But then going to like sort of, ven- smaller venue and town hall and stuff, uh, you know. In final years of high school, a special road trip down to Wellington would be things like The Cult or mm. Faith No More, and they they did feel a little bit dangerous because yeah. you're sixteen, 16, 17, yeah. But I'm I'm sure they were pretty safe. Yeah, you know, know, really. But I know, I know, yeah, I know the feeling of it. Yeah, certainly, there's a you're excited by the possibility that something wild could happen so long as it oh. doesn't quite happen to you
1: well the thing is you know, something wild always did happen and <laughs> inevitably it did happen to you as well because you were right in the middle of it right? You know, but that was just that's how he was in those yeah, days and he yeah. was, was alright and I don't miss that you because know, mm. I don't go to as many shows as I used to mm. and if I went to a gig now and there was a kind of Fifty people knocking lumps out of each other. Yeah, I'd be good. like, oh, okay, well,
0: you do get a bit of burnout after a while, don't you? With yeah. To, I mean, I, I, I've had my moments where I'm like, I don't actually care if I ever see another show again. And when everyone was talking about lockdown, I mean, not only was there like more important things in the world to worry about than whether you fucking see live music again ever, but, but I just like personally, I was like, well, I've actually. I've had my fill and I've had most other people's as well, which makes me very, you know, yeah. I'm really grateful for that. But I genuinely don't care if I see a gig again. And then, of course, I've seen a handful of gigs, only a handful, and I've been more invested in them yeah. than, than I have in yeah. a long time because because yeah. I did have that break, so I do feel re-energized. Yeah. It and never goes away. You never lose that.
1: No, you don't. Did you butt? went to see that Prince show, didn't you, yeah, in Auckland? Yeah, I did. Now, it probably in a million years you were not expect to see Prince sitting at a piano. Well, s-
0: someone sent me a recording of it, and I didn't listen to it for uh, you know afterwards, and I didn't listen to it for a while, and then I, I lost it. i um, probably my computer crashed, and I didn't have it backed up or whatever, and um, or I think my computer got stolen. But anyway, I um, I asked this guy if he could send it to me again, and just the other day I was listening to it, and so I've got this pretty good sounding, yeah, you know bootleg copy of the show I went to. And a friend of mine came around, and she was like, what is this? It's obviously Prince, but what is this? And I was like, this is the show I went to. And she was like, holy fuck. And I was like, yeah, man, like, yeah. this is going to be like a little ceremony. Just every now and then I've got to dig this out and listen to it. I mean, fuck. And then all those thoughts went, yeah.
1: And that's, it's going back to what you said just then about, well, you know, I don't have to see another show again. But yeah. then you go to see another show again, and it just happens to be something like Prince yeah, or yeah, yeah, something yeah. special. And you yeah. think, yeah, this is... This is why I yeah. up, like music. And yeah, and I think makes. about
0: those things like, you know, seeing Brian Wilson perform Smile or, you yeah. know, seeing Stevie Wonder and you didn't think you were ever going to see him. Yeah. You know, there, there, there are, and it doesn't have to be the big, big name. There yeah. are those extraordinary, yeah. I mean, I was thinking the other day about um, going to Bodega and seeing Holly Go Lightly and how fucking good she was. You know, <laughs> you know, something I was just, some, somehow I went, I haven't listened to her listen for ages and then I was like, Jesus Christ, that was an amazing girl. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know who she is.
1: And I know and you know, Holly and was she with Lawyer Dave, was, she probably was, mm, yeah. Mm. You know, those two together, because I used to work mm. I did some work for a record label. Mm. Um,
0: yes, I figured you would have. Yeah,
1: Damaged Goods. That was a
0: strategic name yeah, drop away. by me. <laughs>
1: I'm all about that. But when I was I was working for Ian, who ran Damaged Goods, mm. and I knew Holly, <clears throat> pardon me, I knew Holly or her music. And she had a couple of new releases going off. And I went down to see her somewhere in East London play. And it was amazing how good Mm, she was. mm. You know, there was a real edge again to those two. Yeah, yeah. And then she
0: had that great little pop culture moment where she was on a White Stripes record, (laughs) eh? And that was just, that set her up, I think. Because that's when I saw her, it was shortly after that. And so there were people waiting for her to do the song that she did with Jack White, you know
1: quite amazing yeah. like it you know, just happened um, like that and all down to because uh, she was recording at torag studios where <laughs> jack and meg did elephant yeah and you know obviously he uh, liam liam watson around torag was very close with you know um billy mm. um holly obviously that mm, that mm. seemed like you know yeah, so yeah. it was you know that was quite cool to see someone like holly but yeah it's as you said you're gonna see gigs small gigs yeah it's astounding. You're going to see, say, Stevie Wonder, as he said, yeah. amazing. You're going to see Holly, yeah. amazing. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah.
0: Doesn't it? Doesn't yeah, they don't me. need to compete like no, that. Yeah, it.
1: yeah. And that's you know that's going back to that business about as I said about going to see all those shows in London. I'm loving it and loving it. I'm going to see all this crazy stuff. Like i went to see Nina Simone when I was about nineteen. Wow. Ish. Yeah. Would have been about nineteen or twenty in Ronnie Scott's? In and four of us went down to it. And it broke the bank. It was so expensive. Did she
0: finish the show? Yeah, it one other, right. Yeah. Well, listen,
1: she had a residency there. <laughs> yeah. And um, I saw an ad, because I, uh, and when I was about, I was in college and someone in the halls of residence had that 10-inch single that Charlie put out of, um, you know, my baby don't care for me, I love you, mm. porgy, mm, and mm. little girl blue or little boy blue or whatever. Mm. And I'd never heard Nina Simone before. Loved it. And just, mm. that's all I used to play was those three or four songs. Mm. Didn't. Much else about it. Saw so she was playing at Ronnie Scott's. I thought, okay, got a bit of money here, some deals were done, and I went down to buy the tickets. And it was Ronnie Scott's, famous jazz club. And I was just this kind of, you know, with a stupid flat top, thinking I was still Joe Strummer in those days, <laughs> cruising down um, at about lunchtime, come down into the basement of Ronnie Scott's to buy tickets. And there was a lady there, and she was like, "All right, how can I help you?" So I was a bit nervous about it, and I said, right, four tickets. And all the cash went, and I said, look, I said I hate to ask, but is there a dress code, you know, for this place? And this voice behind me said, you can come dressed like that if you want. And um, I turned around, and it was um, Ronnie Scott himself. <laughs> 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 Thank you very much. I said, sorry, man, I'd never <laughs> been here before and all that. And uh, he said, what are you buying? I said, our oh, tickets for Nina Simone. He said, good choice. He said, hang on a minute, i so said, he disappeared and he came back and he gave us four tickets, which I obviously paid for, but mm. they were right at the front. Mm. And he made sure, you know, that wow. we got four great seats for this show because I'd never been to the club before. And he was he was a funny guy. And when we got there, it was we had this table and the piano was about, I don't know, two yards from wow. us, three yards. So we sat there in front of Nina Simone, uh, you know, for this two-hour show. But prior to that, I would heard that she was an absolute car crash. And someone had gone to the show a couple of days before and she spent most of it just talking crap. She had her feet up on the piano and it was just horrible. Already. Yeah,
0: there are those clips of her, like, she'd do those shows with just her and a drummer. Yeah. And she'd berate the drummer yeah. and berate the audience. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's awful. It's very sad. Yeah. But But back then, the idea was like, well, hang on, just give us our money's worth for fuck's sake. Yeah. That was a yeah. lot of people's logic about it. I was freaking out. I think, oh, I don't want to sit down and watch a pile of shit. Yeah. Thought, that was the amount yeah. of money we spent. Annie was in your
1: spot. But we went there. She had, um, she played with it. It was a drummer and a bass player. I've still got the ticket somewhere. See, wow, I'll Cole. show you later. Yeah, yeah. Whoever that was, and she was astounding. Yeah. She didn't put a. F- amazing. Didn't, yeah. didn't didn't you know? Didn't, everything didn't she did. Didn't throw just play, no, played no, played amazing. It was just this two-hour oh, set ah. from start to finish. It was just jaw-dropping.
0: Yeah, that's that's got to be right up there. Yeah, in the oh, still, All-time one top of the gigs.
1: best gigs I've ever it has seen. Has to be. She was so cool. And I remember she came off the stage, and I just said, "Thank you so much."
0: She, she did, did. She did play Wellington, but it was before my time. They got her out here, I think, for the very first Arts right. Festival. Okay. So late eighties. Yeah. Um, see, I saw her in yeah. the
1: mid, late eighties again at the Dominion Theatre mm. in London, and it just wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't good. Yeah,
0: I think she would have been off her game, performance-wise, big time by then. But you know. there, there, there are people, maybe people listening. There are people that would have seen her in New Zealand, yeah. at least, which I never did.
1: No, but there's a few people who I know went to see her at that. Ronnie mm. Scott's gig it's mm. weird people I got to know later in life were at that show and they all said the same thing how incredible it was wow. but then there's other people I know who'd been to see the previous shows who <laughs> yeah. said it was awful yeah. so you know you take it yeah. but I went through all that sort of stuff you know in London bands, bands, bands all the time and then at some stage I thought I've got to get a job because yeah. I was living on the dole and yeah. uh, you know just doing all jobs here and there and I thought you know I was early 20s I thought well, I've got to do something so, you know, I just, i got to get some money. So I, I ended up selling advertising like so many people do. And I kind of went to work for some magazine. And all of a sudden, the fun just went out of everything. Uh. Whereas before, I'd just, you know, be getting up sometime in the afternoon, smoking dope on an international level all day, going to see gigs in the pubs and all that. And then all of a sudden, i got a job and a suit and... Not really having a very happy yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But it was London in the kind of, you know, late 80s by then. And I had to do something. I couldn't afford not to yeah. work, you know. And I got caught up in this kind of job, which was all right, you know. The money was okay and, you know, it was, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. But I didn't like it. And all I ever wanted to do, I still had this kind of desire to be, I don't know, in a band or doing music stuff or just, you know, having mm. fun, basically. Yeah. And then I'd start, I was playing in a couple of bands which were going absolutely nowhere. But we did some demos um, for someone, which were okay-ish. And I was playing with um this singer, who's a very good singer, and he rewrote this song that we did and changed it around a bit, and it was shit. And Sean, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry, man, but it was shit what he did to it. But I sent it off to some people, these kind of, you know, someone on Greater London Radio would do this new band thing, and they picked up on it, and they put it in this, um, I can't even remember what it's called, but at the end of the show, they play three tracks from three different bands, and people voted, which is the best one. If, if he won the vote, you got on to play the next week, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And we won the vote. I thought, well, this would be weird. And then the next week, we won it again. So I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, the next kind of superstar but it was just odd that this this song was kind of winning this thing and we went three or four weeks in a row and i thought well i can i've got to do something about this and even though i knew the song was shit what i was good at was getting the song played on other radio shows and radio one played it on some massive daytime show and raved about it and so then he was getting more airplay on these kind of new band things. Mm. But I knew the song, as I said a few times, <laughs> it was a bit shit. And in a million years, I was going to have nothing to do with it. Mm. But what I did do, I thought, I bollocks to it. I'm leaving my job. This, I had a taste now of mm. this. And I tried, you know, just doing music stuff and just playing in bands and just going back to what I wanted to do. But by now, I was getting into my late 20s a bit. So I knew I was never going to have a career in, you know, as a musician. Yeah. I wasn't good enough for that. But I thought, What you are pretty good at is getting your songs played on the radio. And I got to know a lady called Mary Costello, who was Elvis's, Costello's ex-wife. She changed her name as well. And she was doing a show on um, BBC London or or GLR. And I used to see her gigs a lot. And I gave her this demo. And I think, in fairness, she played it a couple of times on her show. She didn't really like it. She did it (laughs) as a favour. But through that, I kind of met a guy called uh, Tom Bridgewater. He was running this um, vinyl-only label called Vinyl Junkie. And he was playing all this kind of... So he was releasing on this compilation that him and Mary put together. Towns Van Zandt. Um, I think Butch Hancock was on there. All these songwriters that I didn't think anyone else had heard of. Because mm. I was into all this mm, sort mm. of stuff. So me and him knocked around a bit. And he was saying that he, he knew he couldn't just carry on releasing vinyl forever... So he was thinking about doing more of these kind of compilations and of this sort of burgeoning, sort of old country Mm. Americana type scene. I don't think he was even called that in those days. Yeah, yeah. So me and him knocked around a bit and got on very well with him. And somehow or other, I just fell into working with him. And the next thing, we started this label called Loose Music, or Loose Records, and we put out a compilation called New Sounds of the Old West. And all of a sudden, there's no planning on it. I was just sitting in his house in Shepherd's Bush listening to songs all day. You know, people like Handsome Family, Red Star Belgrade, Colexico, Giant Sand. Mm. And this is in about 1997, 96, something like that, perhaps even earlier. And the next thing you know, there's this compilation comes out. It's getting this mad, crazy good press. And things started happening. And he's me and him, me and Tom, there with Loose Music releasing all this stuff that we both loved and i'm in the music business thinking well how did that happen and he was very good he was a, he's a very good smart businessman you know um i didn't have a clue what i was doing i remember phoning up i think the editor of mojo at the time he was Matt, a guy called matt snow mm. saying know these reviews that you do how do you uh, how do you get that then <laughs> How'd do you do that? And I remember Matt laughing. You think, well, you just send it, send some records in, and we'll see if we like it, we'll review it. <laughs> well, okay, we'll do that then. So you were learning as you went. Mm. You know, we did, I didn't really have an idea what was going on. I was
0: going to say you'd be rubbing your hands together philosophically, if not financially. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Like straight away, though. I mean, like yeah. this is I've actually landed on something. Yeah, this definitely. is a way to be in. Yeah. In music. Yeah, it was, and
1: yeah. I was enjoying it, and you know, talk. To- Tom was very, very clever and smart in the way you could see that there was something happening with, with this mm. sort of old country scene. Or whatever, yeah. And it was different because... But it was just something... Something was going on with it. And it was all these bands coming over from the States. No one was releasing them. They, you know, they weren't doing that many shows, but they were great, great bands. Mm. And then all of a sudden, because me and Tom were the only ones really doing anything in the UK.
0: What were the trigger points, do you think? Because I feel like that that Johnny Cash American recording series was a big one for a lot of people, mm. for, obviously for listeners, but it must have inspired a generation of, of songwriters and performers, surely.
1: Yeah. Well, there was there was that that album, yeah. for definite, but prior to that, there was... Because
0: I'm thinking that's three or four years before what you are talking, yeah. so that would make sense, But yeah. even
1: prior to that, there was, I think, a compilation... Came out called Son of Redneck. Mm-hmm. That was, was this great compilation of people like Joe Ely was on there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Nancy Griffith. Yeah. Uh, who else was on there? Um, Maria. Yeah, McKinney. and there were, I mean,
0: there were those people that were doing the work like Dwight Yoakam yeah. and Lyle Lovett yeah. that, that were getting there. That were building big fan bases. Yeah. And when country music was allegedly a little bit dead. It, yeah.
1: Well, it, it, that's the thing. It all he was just getting worse and worse press, and it was all yeah. that Garth Brooks sort of stuff yeah. and all that. And which I was never that into. But you know, he was good at he was good at what he did. Yeah, yeah. But he was just I didn't I know. was
0: I loved watching the the you know, the Ken Burns country music yeah, that was yeah, incredible yeah. and I just finished it recently and I one of my takeaways from that was like I've gotta spend a little bit more time with Garth Brooks because I was blown away by the the performative yeah. aspect of him. Yeah. And I remember hearing a couple of songs early in his career and going this is not my thing, but these are pretty good. But yeah. I've largely left him alone.
1: Yeah, it's just something I, I... I feel
0: like it would make more sense now. You well, know? You,
1: if you, this various documentaries on him, you yeah. look at those kind of... Because he was very good on his marketing. He knew yes. what he was doing. Yeah. But the scale of those gigs, yeah. how big they were, and how yeah. massive that guy was at the time, the amount of records he was selling. And, he, you know, he's right. I'm not yeah. offended by Garth No, no neither. I never
0: Spanish. have been. I just sort of put it to the side and went, that's probably not for me. Yeah. But I'm real happy that he's doing well (laughs) you know like but now i think like actually probably i'd probably line up with that a little bit more than i thought i would have
1: yeah yeah but see you know you'd you were asking about where it kind of you know Mm. came from the johnny cash stuff there was also that you know um Nirvana's MTV and yes, plug yes, thing. Now, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that's any sort of American or. No,
0: but things like the Lead Belly inclusion, a yeah, eh? yeah. like just little moments within moments. Yeah, yeah.
1: and that you know, g- going back to the, uh, the man who fell to earth, mm. or, sorry, the man yeah. who sold the world. Yeah, you know that version of that. So it's yes. all this, you know, all these people who like your Dylans and your Neil Youngs and Crosby, Stills and Nash, and mm. all that sort of stuff. The Birds, Gene Clark, and then obviously Grand Parsons who then had this sort of interest in punk and all that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden you got this kind of weird little strip back, kind of quite, I wouldn't say punk in that, in the true sense of the word, but a very kind of fuck you Nashville sort mm, of thing. Mm. But basically people with acoustic guitars yeah. sitting around. Yeah. Do, some doing good songs, some doing not. But there was something different going on. There was a bit of an attitude to it. Mm, mm. And, and more than anything, a bit of a scene. Mm. And you'd go to these clubs in London and pubs, um, to see people like Butch Hancock or Joe Ely and you see Joe Strummer in the audience and you'd be thinking, Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. knowing also obviously that the Clash had played with Joe Ely. I think these Joe supported the Clash on some London on some UK shows. But it was just quite cool. Yeah. And you know, at the time also, you know, in those kind of late eighties, early to mid nineties, there was all that Britpop pop shit going on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. which, you know, some was good, some yeah, was bad. Yeah, yeah. But
0: it just wasn't really for me. Yes. And it was big and loud it was and, huge, you know, and very yeah.
1: leery and yes. very kind of laddish and all that. And yeah. there's a lot of people who just weren't into that.
0: And it ran on past its use by date very quickly, Definitely. and and became a parody of itself very quickly. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden, you know, on the one hand, you'd be going to say, you know, your record shop, and you'd be you'd be swamped by say Oasis or Blur yeah. or whatever. But there tucked away would be some Lamb shop album yeah, that yeah. you'd read about, like in Enemy yeah. or Melody Maker. Yeah. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, well, let's check this out. And then that's pretty cool. People are hearing something different. And mm. those compilations that Tom and I put out, those New Sounds of the Old West, yeah. when that first came out, you know, Lambshop hadn't really done too much. Uh, Colexico hadn't really done too much. But we gave them a, a bit of a wider audience. And then Alan Jones, who was um, a former editor of Melody Maker, was, had launched Uncut Magazine. Mm. And Alan was obsessed with this sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, he had a great background, you know, from as a kid, again, growing up in South Wales, he was from a place called Port Talbot, where he'd go to see all these crazy bands. But he had this thing about people like Graham Parsons and right, all those yeah. kind of, that sort of cosmic Americana. So when he launched Uncut, you know, he started championing bands like the ones we were releasing. Yeah, yeah. And what Alan did, and also Sylvie Simmons at Mojo, did for bands like The Handsome Family and one or two others, was just tremendous. You know, mm. they gave them this, you know, publicity, this, mm. and opened them up to a wider audience. And then one of the big defining moments, certainly with Uncut, is that they put out a compilation of those coverments oh. called Sounds of the New West. Yeah. Which I'm convinced, Alan, if you listen <laughs> you ripped off from us. But on that compilation was, you know, The Handsomes, Vic Chestnut, Lamb Chop, etc 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 and then all of a sudden 50 60 people who were buying that magazine at the time yeah and this compilation of all these people and he was bang he
0: yeah went. i've still got a couple of those early uncut mm. um sort of compilation the americanary compilations yeah. and the one um with the gourds singing gin and juice yeah yeah right. yeah this yeah. americana version yeah. of snoop's gin and yeah. juice which is it which a lot of people thought was that band hayseed dixie yeah. because it's Essentially in the style. Yep. Um, that was amazing to me. That was mm. really formative. Yeah. 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 See,
1: and then you knew all of us, Alan and um, the staff and Uncut, were brilliant for that sort of stuff. Where they, you know, every month in the magazine, they'd be interviewing these people. You know, they'd be on the cover magazine. Yeah. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm not saying these bands were going to fill Wembley Stadium as yeah, a yeah. result of it, but it just opened it up. And then because of that, the releases that Tom and I were putting out, um, I think we did that. New Sounds of the Old West was the first and then it was a Red Star Belgrade compilation um, album. And then the Handsome family who were on that first comp with, um, I remember still getting the demo that the publisher sent us, a guy called Paul Jordan at a publisher called Bug. And on this demo was this, or on this um, CD that they sent, was a song called Moving Furniture Around which uh, I remember it coming on and just laughing because mm. it was, you know, Brett singing, you know, when I get bored, I move furniture around. <laughs> I thought, yeah, this is perfect. So we put that on that compilation and then they got in touch and said, look, we've got this new album coming out, do you want to have a listen? And I've still got it mm. down there somewhere, the CDR mm. that Rennie sent me. And it said something like, here's a new record, I hope you don't think it sucks. And it was just a CDR of it. And that was Through the Trees with, you know, all, you know wakeless Again was on yeah,
0: that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And Amazing song, incredible, and they came over from the states to play a show at the Twelve Bar Club, which you couldn't move at. It, I think the legal capacity in that, as we found out later, was about sixty people. There was people out in the streets trying to get in. You couldn't move inside. It was one hundred and fifty people. Everything that could go wrong at that show did. The fire alarms went off. They still had a drum machine, I think, in those days, or a seat or some CD player that had drum tracks on it. That broke down. But it was a triumphant gig in the yeah. end. like They pulled it through, and they, everyone who went to that gig, you know, have never has never forgotten it. It was astounding. And then all of a sudden, we would releasing stuff by the Handsome Family, um, more of those new sounds of the Old West compilations. Giant Sound came away um, with "Shore of Enchantment" because V two said it wasn't commercial enough. I was like, what, what does that mean? and you know so we put that out and that was getting album of the week in places that The Guardian and The Independent Mojo and Uncut were raving about it so it just kept on ticking over mm. so we had this quite a cool little label going on mm. and uh, and as I said, all of a sudden, I'm somewhere or other in the music business. <laughs> with no idea what I was doing.
0: And that lasts until... I mean, it continues on, but that lasts until you... Somewhere in there, you make the the decision happens to move to New Zealand. Yeah. That was,
1: and it was a tough one because, yeah. because we were very fortunate in getting some very good publicity. And I kind of knew about those... You know, your Grand Parsons and all yeah. that lot. I kind of knew what I was doing with that. I got asked by... Um, a few different record labels to start looking after people when they were coming into London for promo trips yeah. or whatever. So, you know, they would employ me to do that. So I was quite enjoying myself because I was getting yeah. to hang around. I remember the first job I did with that lot, a guy called Richard Wooten who was this great PR guy in Britain. He had uh, Joan Byers, Emily Lewis Harris, and Kate Rusby coming yeah. through over a two-week period. And he said, you know, I want you to look after these guys. You know, I said, oh, okay. And I think the first one was Kate Rusby. Um, and I had a great time with her because, you know, she's some player. Yeah. And then I was uh, two days with Kate and her partner. And then the next thing I know, I had to, He um, was Joan Byers. And I wasn't sure about working with Joan. I thought she was going to have me up a tree protesting yeah. about something. Yeah, And yeah. it was going to be painful <laughs> and she's going to be really worthy. and yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't really into that. it was one of the funniest two, three days of my life. You know, she swears like a trooper.
0: She's quite extraordinary. I mean, I did a phone interview with her a few years ago and I kind of like, you know, you just have to pinch yourself after that and go, you know, okay, first of all, there's all her extraordinary stuff. There's just everything that's great about her and who she is, her music and everything. But then there's the intersections, you know, like the idea that like there's the Dylan thing. Yeah. And then there's like the, you know, just the the, the stuff that she's done, the the people she's been around. I know. You know, it's just extraordinary. You go, you know, that is one of the absolute giants. Yeah. And so you take that to you have that on a whole other level because you're actually in her presence. You yeah. know, I felt that after twenty minutes on the phone.
1: Well, I. As I, said, I remember meeting her and her manager in this hotel in London. She came down. And she was a sweetheart. She was, you know, very pleasant. Mm. And he was like, "Hi," and all that. Into the car, and off we went to these interviews. We got chatting to her, and she started doing this, why I don't know. She started doing this Ringo star impersonation. Oh, she, she loves it. Impression. She's good. She's
0: really good, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, her Dylan one is something else. Yeah, I yeah. think this,
1: there was a Beatles song on the radio yeah. or something. She started <laughs> like she goes, "I remember when," and then she this story about being with the Beatles or something. Yeah. And she does the Ringo impersonation. <laughs> And it's like, I'm thinking, what? I think this lady's really funny. Yeah. And then she did this Dylan thing. She does a great Dylan impersonation. Yeah, yeah And so I'd good. been in a car with her for 10 minutes and I thought, this is going to be an absolute hoot. And I had a ball with it. And what I found with that she's super smart, super funny. Um. But she means everything she says. Yes, she's, yeah, yeah.
0: There's no fronting at no, all real. It's, it's, it's
1: complete. I found her absolutely fascinating. Mm. And I was... But what I've always remembered with her, when I said goodbye to her, we—I was going, I'd taken to her a radio station, and she'd finished the interviews, and we'd done whatever. So I was saying goodbye, and she was waiting for the um, car to come to collect her, and she was sitting on the side of the road outside the BBC on a guitar case. And, you know, she's one of the biggest folk stars in the world, mm. one of the biggest stars in the world. Mm. And I think, how many times have you sat down on the side of a road on a g- guitar <laughs> yeah. case waiting yeah. for someone? There? But there she was, like, you know? No, mm. no airs, no frills, no braces. Yeah. And that's the last time I saw her, and she was an absolute hoot to work with. But one of the big things with her is that, I think, the day after I was after, with Joan, I was to have to look after Amy Lou Harris for a, for a couple <laughs> of weeks, or a week. And we were in um, the BBC doing this thing and Joan was sleeping on the sofa. She'd sleep wherever she could. I remember being in a restaurant with her and she kind of, she'd finished dinner or lunch or whatever it was and she'd just stretched out on this chaise lounge <laughs> in this really super fancy <laughs> restaurant. I'm just going to feed that. P- I'm just having a rest for a bit. And there she was sleeping in the BBC and Amy Lou comes in. So I was introduced to her and said, right, you know, Mark's going to be looking after you for the next week or so. So there's all, all the pleasantries. And she said, Oh my God! Is that John Baez? I said, yeah. And Emily Harris, it was, it's Emily Harris. Yeah, was freaking out, starstruck, the, massively starstruck. <laughs> Amazing. And there's Joan, kind of, you know, lying down. And yet, on the sofa. totally
0: understandable, you know. If,
1: yeah, because when you know Emmy was coming out.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like that. I just watched that clip the other night of David Letterman would always have Warren Zevon on, and he's talking to him, and he says, you know, you've got all these great people on your record, and did you know Bob Dylan? And he says. Well, no, I didn't know him, but he's kind of responsible for me having my job. You know, I basically... I basically sent in an application and applied to have the same sort of job as her, you know, which is just, you know, which is amazing and just perfect. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And yeah. that, it's a similar situation, right? Yeah. Amy yeah. Lou and Joan Byers. Yeah. That is Warren Zevon and Bob Dylan. That's it. Same thing.
1: Yeah. The yeah. reason Amy picked up a guitar was probably because of Joan Byers. Yeah, yeah. When they eventually, when Amy, um, when Joan could eventually got up, <laughs> and it was like, oh, hey, Amy, how are you? And Amy, who goes, <laughs> like, oh, you know, I Say so they don't must have met before yeah yeah but she was really starstruck wow. you know yeah so Joan goes off in her, you know in her kind of car after sitting on the thing and the next thing you know, I'm with Emily Harris for a, a week or so yeah. cruising around London having stories about Graham Parsons and Dylan and you know jo- I think Johnny Cash had hadn't long died then mm. and she was telling me about singing at Johnny's funeral and I'm, I'm thinking this is just the best time ever <laughs> like I'm just having so much fun I yeah. did all that and then I was Jackson Brown was in town. I was knocking around with him for a while, looking after him, and all these crazy So you were
0: hanging out with your record collection yeah, and this, three days. Yeah, yeah, this is it. And
1: I was having so much yeah. fun. And then all of a sudden, we're going to New Zealand. I go, I don't, I don't want so to go. So you've got Zealand. a
0: lot to say goodbye to. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I didn't want to go, and it was a mm. real tough one. And it wasn't just saying goodbye to Tom as loose and, and mm. leaving this sort of partnership, but also giving up all that, where well, I was mm. having a lot of fun. But I knew... As I said, right at the start, you know, when we were chatting, it, it was a no-brainer to come to New Zealand with the kids. Yeah. Because it is just living in London as much fun as I was having, the kids weren't going to have that much daunt, fun growing yeah. up in this little yeah. pokey little flat. So we came, and it's I think it's around about twelve years ago. This last week I got here thinking yeah. about it.
0: More or less. So you're in the Waikato and you're yeah. doing your what you can of your London job from yeah. here well
1: weirdly because I, you know, I was working these crazy hours and yeah. Cherry Red had employed me to do all their PR and they, the MD there guy called Adam Velasco took a big punt on me doing it from New Zealand yeah. and I got away with it you know for quite a while they were still getting all the publicity that I was getting for them in London but I'm in Mastodon doing it yeah. and I was doing alright with that and a few other bands employed me CW Stone King Mm. Um yeah, I did yeah, I did PR for C- CW from Masterton and I got him on later with Jules Holland and I was trying. I was negotiating that from Masterton with the main producer at later, and I don't know what was going on. I was so tired and we got it sorted out, and then I remember having a f- the girl who was a girl called Meg who was looking after things for me in London phoned me up at about five in the morning saying we've got a problem and, and there was some big issue with the production later, C W had said he was gonna do it solo, and then he turns up with a massive band, and it was all this bullshit from start to finish. And I thought I can't keep doing this, like you know, and he was getting harder and harder and harder. And then a band called the Jim's Jones Review, were mm. good mates, they had looked after some of their stuff in London, but I was doing all their radio work again from master for the BBC, and I got them a listed on um, Six Music's playlist and a few other things so I was doing this I was getting all this, these yeah. results but I was just exhausted yeah I just couldn't keep doing it it was you know the money was handy yeah but I was, just wasn't getting any sleep I thought you know enough is enough so I just packed it in mm. and I thought right what can I do in New Zealand yeah so started doing stuff out here just put the feelers out got some work for um, started promoting concerts over here for I think the Handsome family was the first one I did um, they came over um, C.W. Stoneking, Pope Lafarge. You
0: know. Yeah, and so sometime around this, we, you know, we we will have li- liaised, and then we yeah. would have met sometime yeah. around that.
1: And that's that's how I started. Getting I know on. you
0: set me up with a C.W. interview, right. and I know um, when we went and had a coffee, that was after a handsome family gig because right. we bumped into Renny There you go. Yes, we did. Yeah, that, that yeah. After we'd had our <laughs> chat, yeah, which was funny, yeah. and um, and you set me up to go and meet sylvie simmons yeah you gave me the contact for that which yep. was cool yeah so so you so yeah so you're still connecting people and doing things and then what do you do next you start at some point you start this radio show on rnz which is getting a following continuing to have a following yeah that
1: That's, was that was a cool thing yeah because I, I was doing we were promoting concerts in around New Zealand and mm. certainly Wairarapa through this thing called Up With People, mm. and the local access radio show in Wairarapa um, got in touch and said, "You know, do you want to do a morning show or something?" I think it was an hour, two hours. That's
0: right. That's how yeah. it started. Of course. So oh. it was, you know that
1: was fun. So all yeah. of a sudden you're on the radio. Everyone wants to be on the radio yeah, playing yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like being in charge of the record. Yeah, record yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then all of a sudden so you got this Welshman on the radio in Wairarapa, and <laughs> you know I was having a bit of fun doing that. But then Z- um, Zen Phil mm-hmm. and I think Lisa McMillan at RNZ National got in touch and said that they were changing the schedules around, some evening schedules or something. Did I want to come down and do a pilot? And I was like, oh, okay, what, really? Are you sure? And they said, yeah, well, we want to do this Americana-type old country thing. And it was, at first it was like, oh, man, that's a bit... It was a bit daunting. Mm. So, but I went down, did it, and it seemed to go okay. So they gave me this slot... 11 o'clock on a Monday night and initially to play that sort of stuff which I think lasted two shows because I could not play as much as I love playing The Handsome Family and Lamb Chop couldn't do it every week there's more to it than that so then I used to sneak in a kind of a culture track or some Gregory Isaacs and then there'd be a bit of Lee Morgan on there you know like Uh. Sidewinder for like Uh. 10 minutes Uh. and then there'd be you know, bit well of this s- is
0: what's great about your show I mean I, I don't listen to it every week obviously because it's been going for, a, for quite a few years yeah, now yeah, yeah. but I always follow the playlists check out what you've done listen to it go back and listen to some old episodes every now and then and, and it's been interesting recently the number of people who have talked to me about how they've just found out about that show, or they ask me if I've listened to it? And, you know, do you know that guy? Have you listened to it? And it's like, it's just one of those little shows that's sticking around. Yeah, which well, is that, awesome. that's
1: good to know because yeah. you know you never know what's going to happen down there. Because yeah, I plan it as much as I can, mm. but I you know, I'm so bad about. Changing my mind about things because what's great with you know, with Zen and Lisa and Chris down there at RNZ, they said, Look, well, more or less, play what you want, they never yeah. going to tell me what yeah, to play. Yeah. And in some ways, I wish they would because yeah. you know, I can I'd be about to put on some, I don't know, Billy Holiday track, yeah, and then I'll come across, I think, oh, hang on, Sturgill Simpson's new Bluegrass album, that's pretty good cool. we'll have that instead, which messes up the whole thing, yeah, yeah, but yeah. at the same time, yeah, the spontaneity of it, yeah, well, that's what's cool with that, it's yeah. you know,
0: like all radio is so automated that it's great having it yeah. is a little taste of old school yeah radio show you know like I, I like doing my little uh features that i do on rnz but you know i i'm the same i would love to be in control of, of course i would of yeah. course i'd love to be in control of a, a show and play things that i like and talk about yeah. them and i guess i do that in in my way through my newsletters yeah. and my website and stuff yeah. but yeah anyone who's obsessed with music uh, wants to do something like that. Of course, you, yeah.
1: you know, because there's still so much great new music flying around. Yeah. You know, it's, a lot of it's not getting the, the opportunity to get aid. You know, and mm. that's not just New Zealand stuff, but it's stuff from Britain, America, a lot of stuff from Wales, weirdly enough. You know, there's a band called um, Rio 18, who is Carvin Ellis from a band called Colorama, who's been over in New Zealand a few times playing keyboards for the Pretenders. So you've got this Welsh guy who's teamed up with this Brazilian mm. crew doing this amazing Welsh language, Brazilian, God knows what. Mm. So we play them a bit. And, and it's nice to be able to play some, I don't know, whatever, like Sturgill Simpsons, I said, bit of bluegrass, and then play this kind of weird Brazilian Welsh language
0: stuff. But it's a weekly show. Yeah. It rolls around pretty quick. It like does. That's a does. You know, for, for all the um, idea that, well, it's just one hour a week, that's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it is. It,
0: uh, and it rolls, you know, if you take your foot off (laughs) yeah you find shit that's hard work this week right like I find weekly deadlines myself to be mm, the hardest like I think a daily deadline is fine you just end up sleepwalking through life and doing the fucking thing but a weekly you know which is why I force myself to do a weekly podcast for that reason because I'm like if I just do it every now and then it'll just fall off the fucking cliff
1: No, yeah. it's it, it can get tricky, but where I'm lucky, I'm not, you know, when Nick Bollinger was on air, yeah. he'd do these amazing reviews yeah. of things. It was superb. Yeah, mm. the sample. It was fantastic. But he would sit down and talk for however long about whatever. I can't do that. I'd, I'd play something and say, that's great. Yeah. This coming up is great as well, you know, and I'm more about playing the music. The other thing than about, about that
0: it. is that that's really cool because RNZ is very scripted, you yeah. know, which is fine, but, um, you know, Nick amazing but he everything he says is something he's written yeah so it's a script so even when he's talking passionately about something and you think well you know and i've I've had i'm i'm not spoiling anything here I, i've had him on this podcast talk about that every word he speaks on radio is something he's written down so he prepares it which yeah. is amazing it's only me. yeah but it's but you know it's like it's great to have that little bit of spontaneity as you say that that sort of
1: yeah, sometimes it's not though.
0: So. <laughs> I love I love that idea that I mean I when I do my features for RNZ, you know, I give them um a, a list of ideas for questions and things I'm gonna say and then I just go mm. in. They ask me if I want it or whatever, if I've got a copy of it and I just go in and freeform, like I just wanna talk off the top yeah, of my head. That's, that's the best
1: way. Yeah. Because all those, you know, as a kid growing up, all those yep. DJs you used to listen to.
0: Smashy and nicey. Yeah, that sort of <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, you, you you listen to those things like, I want to do that. Yeah.
1: But then when as I was working with a lot of those pre- uh, presenters and producers, you know, you'd realise there's a lot more to it than yes. what you actually, yeah, when yeah. you're sitting in your car or in the kitchen listening to the radio. It's, it's pretty complicated yeah. stuff. And when you start doing it yourself, you think, I can't do that. I'm just going to... And this is why I think... I'll applaud Zen and Lisa and all those people at RNZ who can kind of said look go and do it they knew I was never going to be like that yeah they knew I was going to turn up with a script and a playlist mm. it's like I just press the red button and see what happens for the next hour yeah and they've had a lot of faith in me and it's it seems to work you know there's a few people who have been in touch saying can you talk a bit more about so and so yeah yeah I thought well, like no nah, not really because if I did that <laughs> I wouldn't be able to play yeah, yeah. more music you yeah. know? it's just if you want to find out about the music it's all there online well again
0: it's great because uh, you know it's one of the very few dedicated music shows on the station now so yeah. you're actually about putting music into people's ears yeah
1: but they've got yeah. some you know people like Trevor Rickey yeah oh yeah. yeah amazing you know oh uh, no no
0: there's some amazing talent there but I'm just saying like a lot of the music stuff is like even Music 101 that's really the only full dedicated yeah. show to music and that's got a lot of chat on yeah. it, and so. i don't understand that
1: yeah because you know p- people want to hear yeah music's music you know yeah. like i listen to it, i'm usually cooking on a saturday night and phil o'brien's request show is yeah yeah it. and you know it's a request show so some of it you're gonna like some of it you're not yeah yeah but it's it's three four hours or whatever it is yeah, of, yeah. of music people have yeah. it people like listening to music on the radio yeah um you know what you're down there especially, uh, on musical one yeah. is doing is amazing yeah she's fantastic you know that's really cool i like you know Trevor stuff nick tippins jazz show is yeah. good but it's just an hour here an hour there yeah yeah um i don't know sometimes things are a bit too speech-based but when you look at the alternatives on the bigger stations yes some of them the commercial stations you listen lose the will to live
0: oh totally because again it's just automated as well like it's so you know yeah. Phoned in. Yeah, what you're going to hear.
1: And I can't. I don't understand. You know, there's only so many times you can hear "Hotel California" yeah. Yeah. in a one hour. Yeah. It seems to be. It's, I, I was working in some shop, looking after something. It was on, some station was on, and I'm convinced that American Pie, <laughs> um, "Hotel California," and uh, what
0: was the other? Probably one? "Don't Fear the Reaper." <laughs> no, nah, 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 nah,
1: that had been impressed with. but it was just seemed to be that. Yeah, I, I yeah. know it's a bit of a cliche. But no, it totally. seemed to be the same sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure all, all the time. Every couple of hours, you yeah. hear these songs. Yeah, and I was like, I couldn't really work, get my head around that. Yeah, you know, so I, yeah, I, I think
0: know. radio new that sort of radio in New Zealand um, largely exists for tradies. Yeah, so which is know, right. which is fine, but that's maybe what they're happy with. And so, what else happens? You buy a bookstore. Yeah, well. I was, you know,
1: the the live stuff was working really well. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, we, I did okay out of that, and there was a great music venue in Masterland called King Street. Yes, live. I played there once. Yeah, 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 I remember. And you know, and I thought I, it
0: was awesome. Yeah.
1: One of the <laughs> great venues. great And I do, I probably put on about two shows a month down there. Yeah. And I was lucky, Touchwood, that I was able to bring. People like the Handsome Family yeah. and Pokey and CW yeah. To Mastodon Yeah, um, see, I loved seeing on these posters, you know, Christchurch, Auckland, Wellington, right. Mastodon yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. It was superb. Um, so that closed mm. for all sorts of different reasons, mm. and it was which was a real shame. So I'm at a loose end. I'm still doing some music stuff, but then the opportunity came to buy a bookshop. And someone I knew was selling it, so me and my partner Kate said, "Okay, well, let's let's see what we can do with this." So, about four years, five years ago, somehow or other, me and Kate buy a bookshop, name it Bear Flag Books and Retro, bring in a few little antique things, and take a punt on it. Neither of us had had ever done anything like that before, but we kind of know a little bit about business, we know a little bit about books and a little bit about antiques. You know, what could possibly go wrong here? (laughs) And somehow or other, after four or five years, we're still doing it, and Mm. it's, it's turning a coin. It's great. Yeah, so I've been very, very fortunate. To me, you know, I love good books. I love literature.
0: And there's a framed photo right behind me. Yes. Of um, the captain of the team of five million, Jacinda Ardern.
1: Jacinda, <laughs> uh, just after lockdown, um, the he was the Labour Party candidate then. He's now MP. Kieran and He got in mm. touch and said the government want to uh, want to talk to small business. About um, how they're getting on post COVID, you know, what, they, what they've done in terms of COVID response, business help, and all that. Uh, are you okay answering a few questions? And I said, Yeah, you know, they said, Right, we'll send someone down with a camera, someone will phone you up, ask you a couple of things, and that'll be it. So they wanted me in the shop at half past eight in the morning, which was like, I don't do anything at half past eight in the morning, so I was not <laughs> happy about that. So turn up down there, and sure enough, there's a guy with a little video camera, and um, he said, right, someone will phone you know, in a couple of minutes. So I'm waiting. Phone rings, and uh, he was like, Mark, uh, it's Jacinda Ardern. How are you? I think, oh, okay, this is fucking weird, right, you know, for a start. <laughs> it's Jacinda Ardern on the phone. And I hate to say this, I'm embarrassed, but the first thing I said to her was, Jacinda, I'm really sorry, I'll have my GST paid next week. And... <sighs> it went from there and she was um, in fairness like cracked up laughing the cameraman is all over the place he's laughing and she did the <laughs> in bit for a couple of minutes but then she stayed on the phone talking about music and books and it was fantastic really, very very interesting and she, she was alright and very funny and at the end of it I said that you know, I said, look if you've ever mastered and come up to the shop I'll sell you a book and she said okay and she did and she came up to have a visit Oh. and uh, it was nuts i thought it was gonna be like a scene out of um <laughs> Hill you know the Grant movie yeah just being in the bookshop jacinda walks in and uh but now she you know she had about 500 kind of press and she yeah, yeah. and the camera crews but
0: that's great for business a good that was a great photo op yeah well <laughs> she was in the
1: shop for quite a while yeah um you know talking books you know she wanted to know about um, you know what books people were buying going into lockdown i told her a lot of erotica for some reason um, and those isolation classics like, um, you know, Treasure <laughs> Island and uh, Robinson Man alone. Crusoe, <laughs> Man and all Nah, she was fine. But, you know, it, it, was, it got on, it was TV coverage for It, yeah. it was press left, right and centre and it was good. And a nice, very nice photograph as well. So, now, me and Kate were very, very happy that she came to see us and I've got a lot of admiration for her. Yeah. Um, there's, not many, there's not too many people who would have done that.
0: Well, also, you've got um, all of your life experience, including, as we've heard, going back to sort of Brixton and London in 1980 and the political tone of places like that, which is just whatever people think of whoever our leader is in New Zealand, that's just, we're so fucking sheltered. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I grew up um, under Margaret Thatcher, Mm. which was an eye-opener. And, you know, when you get into that, when you become quite politically aware... Around about 14, 15, 16, and you've got Margaret Thatcher as your Prime Minister when you're 14, 15, 16, and beyond. It ain't too good. And even at that age, you know, because I've come from a very political background. My grandfather was a Labour MP in the Valleys. He served from 1954 to 1974. So I'd always had a politician's knock, I was aware of politics, I had an interest mm. in politics. And you see, you know, what Thatcher and that Conservative government at the time—well, time, I was going to
0: say, coming from a small mining town, yeah, too—you know, it's <laughs> you kind know. Of screwed
1: it. Yeah, um, you know, they battered that place into submission. Um, so, you know, I was aware of that sort of stuff. Always had an interest in it, interest in it. Um, and I've been lucky or unlucky, depends. Knock around with a few politicians over the years through family connections, and I've got meeting Jacinda Ardern and listening to her. You know, she it's, she hasn't got an easy job. Um, whether it's through the COVID response, this business, you know, with housing, some things they're going to fuck up. Mm. It just happens. You know, they're not purposefully doing it. Some things Mm. just don't work out. Mm. But she seems to be, you know, working at it. And this so-called kind of politics of kindness is, I think, is exactly what we need right now. You need a bit of reality as well. Things ain't easy. And hopefully people like Grant Robertson will... Mm do the trick there but i think she's the sort of leader that this country needs and also the sort of leader a lot of other country needs mm. but new zealand's very fortunate we haven't got the sort of problems that a lot of other places have mm. so you know this sort of splendid isolation that we got down here mm. is it can work to our nice favour. Warren Zevon reference yeah you know hey. I'm all about that i'll bring <laughs> in a werewolf in a minute as well <laughs> but uh, the bookshop's been great it was yeah. a great thing to do i love sitting there um
0: yeah, you get to have a chat, you get it's to very social. see life happen. Yeah. yeah, sometimes
1: you don't want to chat, though. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. That, The bookshops are a magnet for some of the most boring people in the world. And at the same time, a magnet for some very interesting people. Mm. Um, you know, we, we're not very good at um, certain things. I'm, I'm very impatient these days now with um, people. On Facebook, we started doing, um, we were told, right, we need to market ourselves more on Facebook. So our idea of doing that was doing um, a big piece on the worst customer of the day, <laughs> which I think is very cathartic yeah. yeah, and very, very liberating. <laughs> so yeah, we'd say, right, yeah, you never guess what happened today. And...
0: And probably a good chance that your worst customer of each day isn't on Facebook, I would imagine. Oh, no, some or of them, they've um, they yeah. got in on it, like yeah. they found out about it. Or oh, what, God, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We had someone complaining <laughs> online about, um, they said, oh, I'll never going to that shop, it's a complete rip off, yeah. you know, for charging like four bucks for some music. Yeah, 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 like, you know? Um So my reply to that, we posted a video of um, from Oliver, the musical, <laughs> you've got to pick a pocket or two. <laughs> You know, I'm not running Farmers or the 10. I don't yeah. give a fuck. I can do whatever I want, yeah, you know. Yeah. And some people think it's funny. Other people just go nuts about it. You can't treat customers like that. So, yes, I can. I can do whatever I want. So there is a little bit of that, uh, you know, kind of black books. Yeah, yeah. Burned about us all. Yeah, moment, yeah, yeah.
0: You know? so, now, um, now, you started by name-dropping Stuart Lee, which was pretty impressive. And you've since gone on to mention a few other people, including Joan Byers and Emily Harris. Who else has just, it's blown your mind that you've met them? Johnny Cash. You met Johnny Cash?
1: Yeah, um, me and Tom, the guy <laughs> I mentioned that I started loose with, I
0: got tickets. Have you sat on that for an hour? <laughs> <laughs>
1: ah, I can't get me started. <laughs> I got tickets for my dad for Christmas, because my dad's a big Johnny Cash fan. And um, I think I've got tickets. Anyway, I ended up with three tickets to go to see Johnny Cash at the Albert Hall. And it was a great gig. And I think Mickey Newbury opened for him, which was yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. He, you know, he's someone, uh, there's one for the teenagers, yeah. as they say. <laughs> so my dad had packed up after the gig, gone home, He'd, wherever he was staying in London. So me and Tom were hanging around and um, we'd ended up backstage. For oh, I can't even remember. I think we were so drunk. We were there and he was backstage chatting away. And I looked down and there's um, Jim Cartercash. Standing next to me, and it's like, you know, that's country music royalty. Yeah. And I like, can still. She was tiny and gorgeous, and she had this bottle green dress on. So, we were chat. I was chatting to her, and introduced myself. Obviously, I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. And then she just turned around and said, "Oh, Mark, have you ever met my husband?" <laughs> and I've met some aviators in my time, mm. but just to, to be introduced to Johnny Cash by. June Carter Cash. Yeah, that's unreal. And what made it even better was he just stuck out his hand and said, "Hi, I'm Johnny Cash." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Oh, really? Yeah, I amazing." <laughs> yeah,
0: because so yeah, what do you say to him, and what do you, you know? What I, well, what could he it. possibly say? That's just perfect. That's I just all it needs to be.
1: Blabbed right? something. Yeah, yeah, you know?
0: yeah. Because what can you say to Johnny oh, Cash?
1: I've been listening to him since probably since I was born, courtesy of my yeah, grandfather. Yeah. And there you are, backstage at the Hall, Yes, it's enough to just adjust. go and see him. Yeah. Like
0: it's enough to get to that gig. Yeah, you know that's you know, amazing. It was. It
1: was incredible. Wow. So yeah, meeting the John was that was quite a big deal. But I've been I've been very very fortunate. Yeah, I've, you know, in interviews in the past and about things, you know, I'm not like some sort of. I quite enjoy all this sort of thing. Like you know, I don't mind saying that I've met Johnny Cash yeah. because I'm excited about that. I'm, and yeah. I'm, I'm fairly proudish about most of the stuff that we you know i've done with the kind of in music because i've always had an interest in music
0: yeah well i was gonna say it's come from a um a fan yeah um agenda yeah. it's about sharing and celebrating music
1: exactly and I, it's one of the few things i'm genuinely passionately interested in
0: i mean obviously you've got to turn a dollar where you can yeah. but there'll be plenty of things you've done for music where you saw no direct Income no, from it, absolutely. but you saw maximum joy, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. I've been
1: broke most of the time. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was yeah.
1: early years setting that label up, me and Tom, we had an awful time financially. Mm. It was really, really tricky. Which is, you know, and things got a bit easier as it went on. You know, when I was doing that independent PR stuff for people like Joan and Emmy, and I was getting paid all right for mm. that, but I was never going to retire on it. Mm. But it, it, you know. So it was spiritually fulfilling. Spiritually fulfilling. My my dad used to say. He said, you know, if you um, what did he say? If you got a job that you enjoy, you'll never work a yeah. day in your life. Yeah. And I was, it was and a And you of must feel a bit like that. Absolute for certain, because yeah. I've always in, enjoyed that sort of stuff. There's been moments where. I, I was working for um, Sam Moore for a while um, from Sam and Dave. Wow! Yeah. He was in London.
0: That's a... right. He had a kind of solo comeback. Yeah. He, towards yeah. the end because of his he, yeah. he did that
1: thing with yeah. Steve Winwood. Yes. Stevie Winwood produced an album, and I think it was Springsteen was on it. Yeah, like one Sting... of those all-star living yeah. tribute to it. That's thing. So yeah. he was over in London for that, and he That's was right. getting a big award at the MOBO Awards at the Albert Hall. And I was asked to take care of him for a few days. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Sam and Dave and all that stacks stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. the stacks, you know, Otis, Booker T, um, Sam and Dave, all those guys.
0: Yeah,
1: How long I've been listening to that stuff, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting in this great big limousine with Sam and his wife, Joyce, who's his manager. He used to be married to um, Jackie Wilson.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: And... I'm sitting there talking to Sam about those Stax tours in London in the mid to late yeah, 60s
0: yeah.
1: and Otis and things. I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute, this mm. is just crazy, like you know? And uh, when he went on to get his award at the MOBOs and he was going to do Soul Man and probably Hold On, I'm Coming, wherever. So it was me and him standing on the stage and the band are kind of pumping her up and the Albert Hall is full and he's going lunatic-like, you know? Mm. And I remember th- thinking then, and thinking, this is pretty weird. This is quite odd. This yeah. is, but it was quite exciting, and
0: I felt really good about that. And, and is that is that thing I was saying about Joan Baez, like uh, you know, it's uh, and it's it's everything that they are and who they are, but it's who they've who they've knocked around with becomes incredible to just share some small time with them. Like the two examples I have, just from phone interviews, where I've got well three, where I've gone holy fuck afterwards was was um, talking to, obviously, Sonny Rollins, which is just fucking nuts, but just thinking, well, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, you know, entire history of of bebop and everything that informs it. Um, But also, like, Jerry Marsden, I got off the phone from him and went, you know, that guy knew John Lennon.
1: You know, so what was Marsden
0: like? He was lovely. I mean, it was it was you know late in his time when he was when he was touring as as Jerry with a pacemaker basically. You know, like he he went out and did pick up gigs with a local band. But 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 that's the time to speak to them. Totally. I mean, he was awesome. He was he was and and the other one is Tony Joe White. Just just hearing. Yeah. I mean, a just listening to his voice, yeah. <laughs> just listening to him speak, but him talking about meeting Elvis Presley and being honoured that Elvis covered his song. You know, I mean, that's that's fucking nuts. Like, this is like, this is like, you know, yeah. interviewing, like, a mountain. It's, it's just crazy. That's, that's the gross
1: thing about that. Because it's going back to what we said about, if you're a fan of this sort of stuff, yeah. and that's your passion, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're speaking to these as yeah. you said, people like, you know, Sonny, yeah. Tony Joe, and all those yeah. guys. How cool is that? Yeah. That's all I wanted to do. It's like if you were kind of... Formula One was your big thing, and oh. you get to kind of talk to, I don't know, James Hunt back yeah, in the day, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, Senna and all those guys, yeah. it doesn't matter what, you could be into architecture, you yeah. could be into building roads. But that's
0: what I'm getting at, is like, yeah, it's the stories within the stories, you know, yeah. and the connections, the fact that you are, you know, yes, it's, you've got a job to do, and, you know, whatever, and yes, it's cool to even get to speak to them, but just thinking about like, the whole six degrees of separation yeah. thing of... I've met someone or I'm talking to someone who has yeah. you know when I when I met um, Suzanne Vega and talked to her was amazing but I also thought when she left because Sylvie Simmons had told me this I thought when well, she you know she had a really deep relationship with Leonard Cohen hmm. they hung out that's
1: it. Yeah. a lot that's Crazy, yeah, you know. Sylvie's a piece of work, isn't oh, she? Oh,
0: yeah, she's good fun. How much fun is she? Yeah, she's fantastic. So,
1: you know, when she came over to New Zealand and you know, we mm. did that Leonard Cohen thing in yeah. Carleton, when she was doing I'm Your Man and we did that concert. I've known Sylvie for a long time, but it was nice to have some time with her just to talk about things, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like not just the Cohen stuff, but being on a tour bus yes. with a clash.
0: Oh yeah, and yeah. The- yeah, well, she ended up staying at our house because yeah, she right. came down to Wellington a day early, and you you rang me and went like, "Can you go pick her up?" And yeah. I was like, yeah, "Yeah." And then she says, "I'm actually stuck here for her right, yeah. And then the funny thing was, I ended up I dropped her at the airport, and she was off to Sydney, and the next day I was over there, so we went to a craft work gig. together Great. And I was that was a moment for me where I was like, not only am I seeing craft work, mm. but I'm seeing craft work with Sylvie Simmons mm. from Mojo Magazine, yeah. who says to me. Do you mind if I take out a pen and paper and write some notes? I'm not sure if I'll write this up, but I'd just like to. And I'm kind of like, you just made this even more perfect. <laughs> you know, like you just made this even better. Write your fucking notes. and yeah. Let me let me watch you write yeah. notes. Can I hold your you pen? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was like, I don't write notes at gigs anymore. Um, but I love that you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I want to see that happen. Yeah. yeah. So amazing. It's those connections. Yeah. People like Sylvie... Because you know, really she's just a giant music fan, yeah. you know, and yeah, so she's exactly. got story. I mean, I went and podcasted her when I went back to San Francisco and had a chat with her. And I mean, she's got, yeah, she's got the next level yarns. Yeah, but she's, you know, she's, yeah. you know, she's <laughs> just sharing them because they're amazing stories.
1: She stayed with me and the kids, you know, for a while. And there was, I think, then the kids are quite young then. And there was mm. some book, some picture book, and there's a helicopter, I don't know, whatever. And they talk to Sylvie about a helicopter. She goes, oh, I was in a helicopter with Metallica once. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's sit down and have a glass of wine and have a talk about actually, Kids off to bed. You know, it's that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I love that. And again, you need to talk about Joan, you know, cruising yeah. around with her. You know, because it's not just the Dylan stuff and all those mm, things. Mm. She was on that, you know, she was marched with Martin Luther King. Yeah, 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 totally. What was
0: that? Like? I think that was yeah. in 1959. She's in a relationship with Steve Jobs.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, she's, well, she said she's fucking her way through the Billionaires Club.
0: Yeah, that yeah, was her yeah. line. Yeah, now. yeah. just, as I say, none of that, none of that um, marks who she is. She's a f- an amazing, talented, famous person, mm. but, but those other stories of connections with people are fascinating. Yeah. How could they not be?
1: You know, yeah. I, 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 as a fan mm. of not just, you know, people like her and others, but as a music fan, it's, it's, instead of having to say your cop, your mojo in front of you you're actually sitting next to these yeah. people to talk about these things, yeah. like, you know, and you can ask them things, and they're very open, you know, because yeah, yeah. you build, it's building up relationships with people, and once they going to trust you? Um, they'll talk, you know, and use conversations. Well,
0: don't you find, I mean, you would know this far more than me, but don't you find that they, as a, as a blanket rule, um, that level of famous, successful, talented person hates being fawned over and can see through it immediately yeah. but, but genuine fandom and awareness of who they are is fine if yeah. it's served up like yeah. without a bit of sort of moisty palm mouth breathing yeah. you know, if you're not all over them going and, you know, and yeah, then yeah. tell me when this happened the stories come out because how could they not
1: you learn that you know, when mm. I think the first time I started kind of hanging out with some fairly yeah. well known people you know you know even though you know you shouldn't you do actually want to kind of go on your knees and say yeah. I, I worship you you are yeah, amazing we're not oh, really right. yeah exactly There's a bit of that i remember meeting daniel Lanois oh, at wow. some yeah. gig and i made such a dick of myself like you know because he was and i loved the work he'd done on wrecking ball and all these yeah. other things and uh, i cringe thinking about it now <laughs> But
0: that's, I was a bit... Yeah, yeah you're a different person exactly Exactly. Yeah. You, you kind of,
1: you know, you, as you get a bit older and a bit smarter, you know what to say and yeah. when not to say it.
0: Yeah, everything's trial and error yeah. in life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all right.
1: I don't I, know. I, one or two others. People like... Um, I remember when I was doing some stuff with the White Stripes with that band Blanche. They were opening for them. We did some big shows with that. And to see... Because in those days, the White Stripes were massive. Yeah. How big they were. And you know, they were doing, we were lucky, I was very lucky enough to be with them on a couple of those big tours with John Baker from up in Auckland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was the first time I met John, dressed as Sherlock Holmes, from what I remember, which I always yeah. found quite odd. Um, but to see these people fawning around Jack mm. and the bullshit they're talking and all that, and you're stepping back thinking, you've got to put up with this all day every day you know mm. you're 24-7 you're Jack White this massive rock star Yeah, and that's just Jack White can you imagine being someone like Paul McCartney or Yeah, it's a different different world so you know I've always learned with those, those guys the show was great what can I get you that sort of thing and that's all they want to know and then yeah. just talk as normal yeah. talk about the kids talk about anything other than how amazing they are yeah but sometimes some of them want to be told how amazing they are and I've got no issues about that and I know that they want <laughs> yeah you
0: work out who needs yeah. re- who requires that yeah. and how that's going to go yeah exactly and that can be a lot of fun too yeah. right like yeah. again yeah, if, you're right. T- if you're talking about people that actually have got fucking stories for days and major runs on the board they're not a yeah. fraudster they're not a fake they're, yeah. they're the real deal then of course you want to hear that shit yeah yeah <laughs> Well, you know, when I was
1: when I met Emmy for the first time, I kind of had to hold back yeah. about things like you know because I just wanted to talk to her about so much. But it was a business thing. I'm there to take care of things and look after and make sure things don't go wrong and make sure things don't go right. But at the same time, I wanted to say, "So, Grand Parsons, you know, tell me about Grand Parsons or tell me about whatever. Yeah. You know, let's talk about Dolly Parton." Yeah. But you, but where I was lucky, you know, because I was with her when she was doing all these interviews. She was telling all these stories to these journalists and I'm sitting in or listening to them or whatever. So I was fortunate to get that side of things. But most of it's just normal stuff. Um, She, when Emmy was in London, the first time I was with her, her mum was with her, Eugenie. And my first job for Emmy Luaris was to make sure that her mum ate her lunch. (laughs) I always remember that. You know, she went off to do this interview. I said, do you need anything? She goes, yeah, make sure her mum eats her lunch. (laughs) And Eugenie was sitting next to me saying, don't you listen to her... I'll eat when I want to eat.
0: That's perfect.
1: You know, so sometimes it's just basic, normal, day-to-day <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like making yeah. sure some 82-year-old crazy Southern Belle has a sandwich. So I can cope with that as well.
0: And now you're in the bookstore. Have you thought about writing some of these stories down?
1: No, because... Um, is
0: that not your thing?
1: No, nah, I'm not good enough to do that sort of stuff. And a lot of it is just, you know, it's interesting for two minutes. Because I, I would never do the kind of... Um, I'd never spill the secrets. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few of those.
0: Yeah, well, they're yours. You've you've earned those. You know, yeah, you've, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but it's also when are you gonna you? Some of the people you see certain things and you do certain things with these bands, and they're there for, and it's discretion. You know, yeah, what keep, goes
0: on to, stays on to Yeah, well, there's,
1: yeah, and I'm not doing any super bad behaviour. No, no. Well, actually, some of it was. <laughs> um, but there's certain things. These things, I kind of lost you hmm. get employed because you're discreet. About yeah, yeah, and I'm not right. talking about crazy Led Zeppelin. Yeah. These yeah, yeah. behaviour. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like that. But some of it, it's not that interesting. Some of it. it's all so right. sort of like yeah. me and you talking about it. Yeah. It's quite funny. But, yeah. And it's not easy to, I've read some of these memoirs and they're not always that good.
0: No, they, 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 um, they arrive with promise.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. that falls away very quickly, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. It, 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 it um, what, should have been the back page of Mojo yeah has been fleshed out into a book
1: yeah see the good the people who do it really well is like Alan Jones who's yes. you know the former and cut editor now he did that thing uh, Stop yeah he me did that back page before. thing yeah yeah, yeah, well, that, yeah he's published that in yes. book form yes. it's superb
0: yeah yeah it's some of the funniest because he's yeah. a great writer yeah you know and they're little they're still just little bite sized yeah. anecdotes about stuff yeah. rather than this whole we're supposed to care what you went off and did yeah in and around there you know, Yeah,
1: that's just a, you know they're yeah. good at the others yeah there's yeah. not many I'm not that big on music biography or autobiographies mm. there's not too many I've really enjoyed you know some of it, but yeah, but I've got a bookshop, I don't read books anymore <laughs> you know i I've, I've got this aversion to the things like you know. I'm too busy being rude to customers to read books. So, I just want to sit in the bookshop
0: with some music playing Yeah, and just have a coffee and watch the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, well, I was going to say, what's left for you to do? What's on the horizon? But it sounds like that is what's on the horizon.
1: The bookshop thing is the big thing. I yeah. want to do more live music. Yeah. Somehow or other in Wadarapa. Yeah. Um, because we had a great scene going on here for a while
0: yeah and the wire app is sort of like as i understand it is continuing to thrive as yeah. a whole like and the whole move of wellingtonians moving over yeah. here like it's just you know it's a little bit more affordable yeah compared to wellington and and the lifestyle that goes with it of feeling out of the rat race yeah, yeah.
1: um so there's but it's not just the you know there's more and more people moving up here but you know, there's a guy called Simon Berth who does these house yes, concerts, yeah, which yeah. are incredible. I know people, all yeah. of them. I haven't met him, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Simon's great. He does yeah. some great shows, but I want to do some of those bigger ones. Yes, I'm not talking, you know, stadium rocks. So no, I'm but
0: more what King Street was offering yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there's no venue to do it. Yeah, and um, how do you get a temporary one? You know, and how do you get?
1: Well, it could be done. You know, when I started doing live music and whatever there wasn't any music venues, so me and um, Katie Grantham mm. um, who I started up with people with we, you know like we did Heart Attack Alley in mm. a bowling alley mm. in Mastodon which is great um, we put the Handsome family on and Delaney and Marlon in a, the little museum mm. you know with 90 to 100 people there
0: um, so but it get, can be done yeah because there's always the wineries but it's a bit of a cliche and, and there's also a stigma around that isn't there I think yeah. there's a there's a barrier of entry for some genuine music fans that those gigs are not really quite real
1: no but it, you know they, they are it's a winery show but the yeah. thing is you've got those locations so why not you know you, you don't have to have some kind of awful covers band playing them yeah yeah, or yeah. A good covers band you know what i mean you yeah, could put any yeah. of the locations there mm. you know we did a few of those um i did a two or three huge pink floyd tribute shows That's right with a band called eclipse it were amazing you know i'm not pink floyd's biggest fan but eclipse really you know really knocked it out of the park and we did those at um, a place called stonehenge oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of and we had two and a half thousand people up there Wow. That. But but that was with a massive light show yeah the the guy who did the sound or one of the sound engineers was Roger Waters former sound engineer so he did the Berlin Wall show wow. um, yeah. and all that. he lives in um, A guy called Paddy so and is a massive light show lasers to kind of die for and you know there's a good few thousand people in up for that but those things are massive they are really tricky to put on you know, it's it's complicated and it's a big pent as well financially. Mm-hmm. So you got to be a bit careful of that. But I will get into doing more stuff because there's a lot of good musicians in Rapper. There's a good local senior. But they're not doing as much as they could and should because of a lack of a venue. Mm. Um, but I, I do want to bring people back here because if we did, a, you know, Delaney and Marlon, Delaney Davidson and Marlon Williams came to play you, I think, the first time about seven, eight years ago. And it was just doing it as a you know the two mm. a two piece playing in front of you know say a hundred people, people are just knocked out by it. Yeah. And you know to see Marlon now what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. You know Hollywood star, giving yeah. it plenty. Yeah. And but he was always going to be amazing. Yeah. You know.
0: He's well, yeah, I remember brilliant. seeing him when he was still fronting a band and barely out of being a teenager, and it's just like there's a star.
1: What was the can yeah. you band he had? Um, the un.
0: Unfaithful Ways, ways. yeah, good good band, band. yeah, really good band, and yeah, I remember writing about them, and then seeing them, and seeing him just out of that band, and you know, and I don't know Marlon well, but he's always been really nice, he's always, and he's always remembered the fact, and I don't expect this, or it doesn't need to happen, but he's always remembered the fact that I was writing about him maybe before a bunch of other people were or just that I liked him and so he's always in touch about stuff and we've only actually talked in person a couple of times Mm -hmm. so I don't I'm not suggesting that I've got any pathway to him or anything but I just like that because there are other people who you rave about they say nothing then you say oh this next album's not quite as good and suddenly you're fucking public enemy number one (laughs) and I think well for fuck's sake like you know like that's a that's a weird transactional approach it's the nature of the beast it is yeah no totally but
1: but I think you know with thinking now you know it's important for people like when I was a kid going back to the beginning of our conversation to to go to see like you know that, that blue oyster cult gig mm. and then all this other stuff i went to see you know people like rory gallagher um I don't know, whatever you know all mm. those bands then that really got spurred me on yeah and i think if people like just in whether it's Wairarapa or hawkes bay or i don't know whatever it doesn't matter where in new zealand these non-metropolitan areas if if younger people or kids and obviously older people Get, to see, get the chance to see a Marlon Williams on their home turf mm. in some little venue, mm. or a Delaney Davidson, or a CW, or a Pokey Lafarge, or whatever. Mm. They think, this is pretty cool. I yeah. want to do that. Yeah, totally. you know, They shouldn't have to go to Wellington or all yeah, to see yeah. these things. And I think it's, if you see a band in your hometown, in a small little venue, and you think, well, that's that's
0: uh, cool well also so, getting people to actually come to from the bigger place to the region as well and yeah. go oh I actually want to see that yeah you know I mean I I loved seeing I mean it was, <laughs> it was only, only out of Wellington Paraparam, but I loved seeing Dave Dobbin play there yeah, recently there rather than see him in the city yeah. which I've seen heaps Yeah. I just loved that change of taking a drive up yeah. the coast and seeing him in a different and it was an amazing show yeah. but seeing him in a different space and I used to drive all around the country to see Paul Urbana Jones play right I drive, yeah. go to the ski field and back I've never owned a pair of skis never been on a slope i drive to the ski field and back in one night to see that guy play right because he's fucking incredible yeah and that's you know and yes I could see him in a, pu- in a pub in Wellington or in mm. wherever else but it became an event yeah yeah
1: no and it's a lot and I like that it's, as you say you call it an event i like the events in music you yeah know, making an effort to go to see something yeah. it's an away game yeah you know, it's that's right
0: yeah 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 it's, yeah. A, it's a road trip It's yeah. a a whole pilgrimage a yeah. whole uh, ritual yeah so yes
1: yeah. yeah, so, you know for future just to kind of cap it mm. i know i want to carry on avoiding responsibility <laughs> some or rather get away with what i'm doing you know i'm very happy with the bookshop you know what My partner Kate is doing with it is amazing. If he was down to me, it'd just be (laughs) a
0: black box. uh, It
1: wouldn't even be that. You know, it'd just be. I'd just be sitting there, just saying, "Don't even bother coming in." I'd have yellow flags outside saying, "You know, kind of, you know, COVID-infested danger, avoid danger, yeah, danger, well, danger, grumpy Welshman inside." So you know, Kate is running that superbly. I, you know keep doing that but I want to do a bit more with music and just keep on doing what I've done. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been very, very, very fortunate, you know, doing what I've been doing over the last few years. Mm. Like, long way to continue. Yeah,
0: well this has been a fun chat Thank you. It has been, thank you very yeah, much. No, Good. Mando Jangles and he dance for you. Worn out shoes, with silver hair, a ragged shirt and baggy pants. The old soft shoe. He jumps so high, he jumps so high. He
1: likely touched down. Mr.
0: Bojangle,
1: Mr. Bojangle, Mr. Bo.